Hello and welcome to the Henna Hundle Show. Here on the Henna Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Hannah Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm honored to share the air with our esteemed guest, Mr. Jim Doyle. Mr. Doyle served as the 44th governor of Wisconsin from 2003 to 2011. In addition to his role as governor, Mr. Doyle served as the 41st Attorney General of Wisconsin from 1991 to 2003. During his time in political office, Mr. Doyle championed a number of democratic reforms. I'm incredibly delighted to welcome Mr. Doyle to the program today as we discuss his perspectives following President Trump's 2019 State of the Union address. In addition, our conversation will touch on the health care reforms that Mr. Doyle brought to Wisconsin as governor that he would like to see manifest on a national level. Please join me now in welcoming Mr. Doyle to the program. So, Mr. Doyle, you served as governor of Wisconsin from 2003 to 2011, and in a recent interview, you remarked, quote, I hadn't had a vacation in 12 years up to the point when I stepped down from being governor. I was really struck by that. So I just wanted to warm up by asking you, what was that first vacation or big break you took after your time in the governor's office, and how have you been keeping occupied ever since? Uh, well, the day of the of the inauguration of my successor. So I had I served two terms. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't run for a third term. So on that day, I went to the inauguration and and it was passed to a new governor. And my wife and I left that day and we went to San Miguel in Mexico and spent uh, like I guess mm-hmm. about a week there. And um, then I came back, and we uh, uh, pretty soon after that, within the next couple of weeks, we went to Hawaii for a couple of weeks. And then I came back by the, I guess, middle of February, early February, and mm-hmm. was ready to go. I mean, that had been enough vacation for me. So wow. since that time, I've been doing a lot of different things. I've I've spent a couple of great semesters at Harvard at uh, the Kennedy School uh, Institute of Politics and at the School of Public Health, and I've taught at the University of Wisconsin, and I a counsel at a law firm, and I'm on the board of directors of several um, organizations, and I've been involved in a lot of different things uh, around education and healthcare. Uh, so I've stayed pretty busy, but nothing like being governor. So I understand that when you entered the governor's office for your first term, you were the only Democrat that year who entered the role of governor by defeating a sitting Republican governor. So in light of that, I'm just curious to get your take on the state of the Democratic Party itself. Over the past two decades or so, are there any major shifts or trends in the party that concern you or give you pause? And how do you think the party can set itself up right for 2020? I don't know if I put this on the Democratic Party or the Republican. It's where our politics has gone, and it's troubled mm-hmm. me very much. I, I mean, as a Democrat, I put it more on the Republicans, but I think we've become uh, two parties that are very racially divided. And so the Republicans and Donald Trump made a very clear decision to do everything he could to maximize the number of white voters that would turn out and vote for him. I think that most everything he does is directed at that. And the Democratic Party has, uh, you know, is in response, but for other reasons has become 
a party that is largely uh, most people of uh, African-American, Hispanic, Native American, most of the uh, racial minorities in the country are Democratic. And, uh, you know, but only like 35 something percent of white men are. And then the then where this all comes down is whether where white women go. If you just want to look at this purely politics and demographics of groups, that's that's it. There's nothing that's really that secret about what's going on here. It is white men against uh, all other people and white women in the middle kind of deciding what direction election is going to go in. And so, uh, again, that that troubles me, I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it should trouble all Americans, I think. Um, I do think the Democrats have to continue to work at finding ways that you, you talk to white men um, who are union people and so on and, and historically have been Democratic. Um, I think you want to continue to try to reach out. But you also have to really understand that, you know, Trump has decided to really attack everybody else in the country except his base, and the Democrats have to stand up for those other people. So uh, I think what the Democratic Party has to really do is uh, reach out to everybody and have a message that reaches to everybody. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, if we could have an ideal candidate, in my mind, it would be Barack Obama. And the, and the, But that doesn't happen. Um mm-hmm all the time, but that's what you need. You need a, you need somebody who's talking to the inspirations, the aspirations of everyone. Some people will buy that. Some people won't, but I think the vast majority of people in America believe that he was a president that cared about them and was looking out for them. And that's really what a Democrat has to do here. I don't think most people in America, the polls seem to suggest this. Most people believe, do not believe that Donald Trump really cares about them or is looking out for them. And when, and I, as I came along in politics, that was always the most significant, you know, you would do these polls and everything else, the most significant question that was, you were always looking for is, is this person, mm-hmm. is he or she on your side or not? And I think the Democrats have to, you know, make clear that they're on the side of most Americans. I understand that one of your many areas of leadership expertise is in healthcare and fixing healthcare in Wisconsin was a top objective of yours when you took on the governor's office. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what you did in Wisconsin with regard to healthcare. What changes you made that you would like to see manifest on a national level? Part of this, when, when I left office, unfortunately, Wisconsin went in the other direction after I was when I left. Mm-hmm. But when I left, we. We had the second highest percentage of people covered in the United States. Only Massachusetts was ahead of us. And Massachusetts at the time had the mandate, and we didn't have the mandate. And we did a number of things, but and, and none of them were that unique. It's, it's just we, got, we just worked on every phase of it, which was that uh, we tried to get people higher up the income level eligible for our Badger Care program. Uh, which is a very good program, and it, it, it is one that we we did not allow distinctions in the health system. If you were Badger Care, you you were like you had private insurance, um, and we went up the the income ladder so so families up to seventy eighty thousand dollars could come could could be part of the Badger Care program. They might have to pay a little bit more. We were we were allowed the federal government. This is actually under George Bush gave us a waiver to allow us to have different premiums based on what the needs were. Another really major thing we did 
was we allowed every child, no matter what the family's income, to come under Badger care. And why that was really important was mm-hmm. the families, even well-off families that have a child with a serious chronic hemophilia, for example, mm-hmm. could not get private insurance. The family simply couldn't get it. But by having the child be able to come onto Badger care allowed the family then to go out and get their own private insurance. We moved the age for staying on your insurance uh, uh, for uh, up to 27 before Obamacare was ever passed. So we, and we were already a year ahead of what the federal law was, but we were before Obamacare was passed, you could stay on your family's insurance. So we just worked away at this. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, we allowed people to actually buy into the government program. And, and this gets discussed now about having some kind of, a, you know, as public option over time. But people could for a short period, for a short term, but if you had lost your job, and I've had a lot of people come up to me and thank me over the years that say, look, I, in, in the recession, I got laid off. I was done. I didn't know what to do, but I could go and I, I had assets. We owned a home. I wouldn't otherwise have been able, eligible for Badger Care, but I was able to buy into Badger Care for that period of time until I got back on my feet. So we just, you know, we worked on one problem and another problem and another problem just to, to mm-hmm. continue to expand the number of people who had uh, who had health coverage. I understand as well that one of your platforms as governor was making room for stem cell research and promising biotechnological and biomedical research to be able to take place. Can you chat a bit about why that was of critical importance to you then and whether you're concerned about the current political climate on the national stage stymieing the same type of research? Um, Yes, and by the way, that was very important in Wisconsin because it was the University of Wisconsin that the first uh, embryonic stem Mm -hmm. cells were isolated and reproduced and the the embryonic lines that are used in research these days, I think, I don't know the exact number, but they're like 12, and most of those are owned by the University of Wisconsin. So it's a, it was a really important part of the state, what we've done. Mm-hmm. And it obviously holds enormous promise, uh, both for, ba- you know, maybe even most importantly for basic scientific research, but ultimately for, and still, I mean, there are some now direct applications for health. So that was critical. And on the broader question, yes, I mean, I am very concerned that we don't, that you just you deny what science says. And under Trump, we've even expanded that beyond science to just sort of facts. We just don't, you know, he just isn't going to respect what the facts are. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a good place for us to be. Obviously, if we can basically accept science and uh, and and then and you can agree or disagree, and obviously there have to be there you know around uh, embryonic stem cell research and other things there there have to be um, limits that you know that are placed on uh, on where you go human cloning things like that. But science and scientists have worked on those kind of ethical questions for years, and there's ways to approach them, and that's the way we should be talking about this instead of just uh, uh, you know, just pretending things don't happen. And the obvious big one is climate change and uh, with, you know, just dire consequences for everybody in just not not accepting what the science is. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think that's a, I think it's critical. It, it, it It's quite amazing to watch it happen. Um, you know, I, I grew up when I was a child, it was 
Dwight Eisenhower and then Jackie were the presidents. And Eisenhower was a Republican, but he had won a world war based on science. So, you know, he, mm-hmm. there were huge advances made in the United States in science under Republican administrations in the 1950s. There wasn't any argument about the science of, about the basic science. There was argument about the policy surrounded it. And I understand that, but just mm-hmm. to pretend like we just went through this in Wisconsin last week, my car said minus 29 thermometer. So, you know, that's what we went through. And when people then say, as Trump did, well, where's the climate change? Just refuting all the basic thing that we've had the four hottest years on the planet in recorded history, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that, it's difficult to deal with. And it's hard to start making good policy unless people can agree on, um, at least generally agree on what the facts are. And that was an interview with Mr. Jim Doyle, former governor of Wisconsin. I'm incredibly grateful again to Mr. Doyle for taking the time to join me for the conversation about his thoughts on both the 2019 State of the Union address and his perspectives on how we can improve healthcare in this country. You have been listening to The Henna Hundle Show. I'm your host, Henna Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.